What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Excited to have uh, everybody here with us for this episode. My name is Shane Larson, host of the Game Time Guru podcast. We started this show back in 2017. January of 17 is when I started doing my podcast, and you know it's grown ever since then. It's thanks in large part to all of you guys who have tuned into the show over the last six and a half years. If you've shared a social media post of mine, if you've checked out my blog, if you've purchased some merchandise, if you've even been a guest on my show, or even simply just listened to the show or left a review on the show, anybody who has helped the show grow, I greatly appreciate you guys. It's a team effort, um, and I am fully aware of that. So. Uh, I just want to say thank you first and foremost for joining this, uh, joining us for this episode. It's going to be a special one. We're diving into the world of volleyball, um, and we're going to be talking to a coach who has tons and tons and tons of experience. And it's an amazing interview. Well, you're going to hear stories. You're going to hear um, insight from a coach's perspective, as well as for for athletes and everything, uh, because he also played. So he played volleyball, coaches volleyball, and he's coached at an elite level for quite some time. And, you know, this episode, I, we were speaking about, you know, the people who have made things possible for the growth of this podcast. Well, the sponsor of this episode is Summit Legal Consulting, and it wouldn't be possible without them to get this episode up and running. So I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's episode. Like I said, Summit Legal Consulting. And what they do is they work with business founders to help them from setup to exit. And in the last five years, they've helped founders complete over $1 billion in acquisitions and exits. I know the owner of Summit Legal Consulting personally. Um, I can stand by his work. I know what he can do. Um, his name is Addison, and he is absolutely fantastic at what he does. He's He's got good morals, good ethics, and I stand by his work. And that's what you need in a business just like that uh, when you're when you're dealing with you know business consulting like that. So if you guys want to, if you're, you're a business owner yourself and you're interested in finding out more, he doesn't accept everybody, but if you email him at Addison at summitlegalconsulting.com and just mention the game time guru uh, you can get an inside track at becoming a client of his and then um, if you want to find out more you can just go to www.summitlegalconsulting.com and you can check out more information there uh, we'll have that link here in the description but again shout out to summit legal consulting the sponsor of today's episode again guys excited to have you with us if you enjoy this episode, the only thing I ask in return is that you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or even on Spotify. Give us a rating on there to help the show grow. We're in 180 countries, all 50 states. Thanks in large part to everybody who has uh, pitched in during the last six and a half years. Strap up. This one's going to be a good one. This is the Game Time Guru. So. What time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. Uh, for those who are new to the show, I, I say welcome aboard. We're excited to have you guys on here. If, you're, if this is the first time you've listened to an episode of ours, fantastic. We've been doing it for six and a half years, and I would always encourage everybody who's tuning in, obviously, listen to our interview today, but there's, all, there's tons and tons. We have over 300 episodes of various interviews with different sports figures from all over the globe. And um, I bet if you have a sport that you're interested in, or maybe you have a family member, a kid of yours, like or a niece or nephew or somebody that could benefit from somebody in that industry. I probably got it uh, for the most part. So come check some of the interviews out and listen. And if you don't know, if you want to ask, like, hey Shane, have you ever had somebody about talk about baseball? Sure, talk to me. I got Vernon Law who was on the show. He's a he's a, a World Series winning pitcher from Idaho um, who beat the Yankees. Uh, I mean, I've got a lot of different people on the show. So. Hit me up and ask me if you ever want to know. But today, as you guys heard in the introduction, we've got a special one. We're going to be jumping into the world of volleyball. And the cool thing about this one today, for me at least, um, I'm a fan of, of sports myself. That's why I love doing this show. So for me as a fan, I'm excited to talk to an expert in this field because he's got experience not only on the men's side, but the women's side too. And, and, and I've got some questions that I have for myself based on my experiences uh, living in different parts of the world. Um, that are going to, you know, I'll be able to ask him and he'll be able to answer those. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Uh, joining the show with us today is Tino Reyes. Tino, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thank you very much. My pleasure. 
Absolutely, man. This is awesome. So at the time of this recording, um, we're going to push this out in a week. So right now we're recording this. Um, you're currently in Idaho. And for, to my understanding, Tino, you guys were doing a coach's clinic uh, of some sort. Uh, can you talk about kind of what you're doing here on the mainland? Well, we uh, <clears throat> we came up with Ryan. Uh, we did a camp with him last year. Kathy uh, coached with Ryan. Kathy played for me at Oregon State. And so she asked me if I wanted to do a clinic. I mean, not a clinic, but a camp. So we came up last year, and it was a combined boys and girls camp. And we just did it for uh, four or five days. And then we had a little coaches clinic within there. And then so they asked us uh, to come back this year, and we came back. And because of the gym situation, we have to be up here two weeks. So we just did the uh, the uh, players camp, and then we're going to go into the uh, position camp and the coaching clinic. Uh, this coming weekend. So cool. So cool. And uh, just so everybody knows, um, the Ryan he's referring to, if I'm not mistaken, is Ryan Canelli, right? Is that is Ryan? Exactly. From with the, I, I have his shirt on. I'm just trying to get that in the in the podcast. It's uh, Idaho Strike is the club. And yep. I think and right now, if I'm not mistaken, that's the only boys club in uh, Idaho. Yeah. So just for the record, we actually had Ryan on the show um, in January of 2022. I actually had him on the show talking about it because one of his players, it's, it's a, it's an, it is, it's unique in Idaho. We don't have a ton of men's volleyball. Um, and so that's, it was an, like, it's one of the first of its kind and it's growing at Idaho strike. Yeah. So for those who are interested in hearing more about Ryan, who Tino's referencing, it's episode 230 of the podcast, Ryan Canelli, club director at Idaho strike. He works with Kathy who I actually forgot to give a shout out to. Can I give a shout out to Kathy? Everyone listen up. A couple months, it was a month ago, June 17th. I go to the um, athletic leadership conference at Boise State University. Um, I was there with a bunch of other coaches, athletic directors, former coaches and so forth. And uh, we were learning all day long. It was a, a full day workshop type deal. And I, I met Kathy and Kathy was the nicest lady. I was just picking her brain on a couple of things. I thought it was so cool, the connection she had. And she was so nice immediately, like during lunch, she comes up to me. She goes, I think I got some guests for your podcast. And she just starts like telling me all these people she knows. <laughs> I kid you not. Kathy is like uh, the yellow pages um, with all these connections in the volleyball space. And that's how I got connected with Tino. And it's just amazing. So shout out to Kathy for being so willing to, to help me out with getting some guests on the show. So um, yeah, there's a lot of connections here though. Kathy, Ryan Canelli. Now we got Tino and uh, now that's, it's good to know why you're down here. Um, so I say the mainland. You said the mainland earlier but before we started recording. Do you mind letting the, the listeners know like where you reside so that they know like why I even said the mainland in the first place? <laughs> well, I live in the island of um, Hawaii now, and I'm like 25 miles from the volcano that just erupted about three weeks ago. But we're safe. But yeah, Whoa. and so we refer, growing up, we refer to the, uh, the continent, the U.S. continent as the mainland. And um, You're over in Hawaii, man. Yeah, I got a, a business partner of mine who just moved out to Oahu and a uh, best friend of mine is actually also moving out to Oahu in the next three months because he got a job out there. So nice. um, maybe I need to go out. Maybe that's my sign. I'm talking to you. My buddies are all out there. There we go. We got to head out there. So, so Tina, let's rewind the clock a little bit and talk about the experience in the sport of volleyball. Um, and, and what got you in before the coaching side of things, were you an athlete yourself that were, was competing in the sport? I, I'm, I'm just curious from you, from an athletic standpoint, before the coaching world happened, let's rewind the clock and talk to you as an athlete. Yeah. Um, we never had the sport on, on the island that I grew up with Molokai. And we had this guy come over and he started volleyball. We were ninth grade at the time. So I ended up playing for the whole four years that he was there. And um, that's how I got into the sport. And then uh, my um, he used to take us to over on Oahu as a club team, kind of like Ryan's team. And we would go out and compete against the teams over on Oahu. And uh, I remember, I think my junior year, we were playing in a tournament in BYU, Hawaii. I think it was called Church College at that time. And we beat them for this um, the state B title. And um, I just remember that. And then... Uh, after high school, I was going to go to the University of Washington, and uh, I got a brochure, and I opened the, I opened the, the a brochure, and I saw thirty-three thousand people at the school, and my island has only seven thousand people, and I went, "There's no way I'm going to go there." So I called my high school, uh, 
uh, volleyball coach, and we went over to uh, what was then uh, Church College of Hawaii, which became BYU Hawaii, and I played there for a year and then played some basketball and then ended up finishing volleyball at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, where I got into coaching as well. Oh, wow. So did you just say basketball as well? You played basketball as well? Yeah, I played basketball. Uh, actually, that was my first love. I actually liked basketball a lot better because I grew up playing it from uh, from five years old. And um, But being 5'9", I think it was easy easier transition to play college volleyball. And But it was good fun playing basketball at the collegiate level. Oh, wow. Okay, so with that being said, I'm, I'm curious – you know, there are some of those those athletes. There's a lot of basketball players, male and female, who cross over to volleyball. So I am curious uh, if you could, you know, like give some insight as to what are some of the main crossovers? Like, what did you find as parallels between what what skills from basketball translated directly to volleyball and vice versa? I think the jumping part, obviously, um, and then uh, the quick start and a quick stop, I think, helps. Um, the other stuff, volleyball is a unique game. It's not a, you know, you don't catch the ball in volleyball. So it's a little bit different, but in terms of the jumping, making approach and starting and stopping, I think those are the crossovers. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, most of the best volleyballs on our, on our men's national team, uh, a lot of those guys were, um, basketball players as well. And I think that's a real nice crossover. You know, they got height, they got quickness, and because volleyball is not a running sport, it's a a burst sport. It's kind of like um, the same energy system that you use in football. You explode for you know three or four seconds, and then you stop. You explode for three or four seconds, and you stop. And I think the average play time is maybe maybe six seconds in volleyball. And so I think the quick start and the quick stop, I think is a crossover and obviously the jumping part. Yeah, totally, man. That's, that's <laughs> cool. Um, if, if you're looking at yourself as an athlete now, before we get into the coaching world, I want to kind of pick your brain. Is there a favorite memory you had a favorite event that you remember, whether it was a match or it was a tournament uh, through your high school or collegiate experience or club experience as a player uh, in volleyball that you'd be willing to share with us? Uh, as a player, geez, I think the one was uh, winning the state B championships. That was a club situation, but we were all in high school and we had a couple of older people that were playing with us. And then playing collegiately at BYU, uh, back in the day, that's where the best volleyball players played. And so um, the history of BYU volleyball, it was called Church College at the time was uh, immense. There were a bunch of people that played there that played on the national team. In fact, uh, some of my mentors came from that school. I ended up up coaching with them. Oh, wow. So the connection with the ball in that school was real uh, tight. Yeah, okay. So that was like the school to beat. I got you. That's cool, man. Um, Was there a coach of yours um, that you had when you were a player that stands out to you and why? I want to talk to the coaches now of any sport and just maybe why that coach stood out to you, why they were an influence to you, good or bad, I guess. (laughs) There there was a bunch of them. uh, But the first coach, his name was uh, Tom Clark. Uh, He was a – I think he was a national uh, referee at the time, and he came over to Molokai for a job and then he stayed and he had a son that was my age. It was my classmate. And um, so he was the best server in our class. And so to hang out with him, I went to play volleyball too. (laughs) And uh, he was the first influence because of him, I got into volleyball. And then because of him, I went to Cal Poly and met with Mike. And, uh, and then little did I know, maybe 10, 12 years later, I come back to Hawaii and now he's my assistant coach at a small little um, Catholic school, uh, Division II college on Oahu called Chaminade College. I don't know if you've heard of that school. I've never the, heard of it. Well, that's the school that um, back in the day, they beat Ralph Sampson, who was number one in the country at that time. Yeah. So the basketball thing in uh, at Chaminade. 
when I was coaching at the school and my high school uh, volleyball coach became my assistant coach for years. So that was kind of a cool thing, see the whole thing go, you know, full circle. And then, of course, the guy that I coached with, I played for and coached with at Cal Poly, his name is Mike Wilton. He's now the consultant. Uh, and I coached with him for, I don't know how many years, 19 at the University of Hawaii with the men's team. And then uh, four or five years at Cal Poly. So it was a 20-something years. And he coached my son, who played at BYU, all four years. So that uh, it's not just a, a coaching relationship. It's more of a family relationship. Yeah. So. Wow. And you're mentioning, it's, it's funny because you, you, you just kind of nonchalantly say, oh, well, five years here is 20-plus years and stuff. Man, that's how long you've been in the game. Like, you've got these connections, and it's funny how they do kind of circle back at times. Um, yeah. And, and they older all come than back. <laughs> Whatever. I think it's yeah, older than Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, though. It's cool that you've got, you've got this experience within the sport, and that it, it does. It comes full circle in different cities and different places right. and everything. You know, um, you mentioned, I think it was Cal Poly that you were talking about coming down and you played, and that's when you kind of got in the coaching career. You know, Tino, what was the biggest transition for you from being a player to then the coaching side of things? What was the hardest transition, I should say? I think the hardest transition at that time, I was still going to school. And the year before, I was playing with those guys that I that we ended up coaching. And so that transition is a little bit difficult when you're young, yeah? Uh, when you get older, then it's maybe a little bit uh, easier. But, yeah, I, I think for me that the transition was – I was a teammate of those guys just, you know, four or five months ago. And so I think that transition is difficult. So I guess my follow-up to that, then knowing that, um, is if, you know, if somebody, I guess, is a younger coach, uh, I guess one of the things that is a struggle, and I've heard that from other people too, it's it's like building the confidence, like the trust from those players. Because they're like, no, dude, he's my teammate. And some of those players might actually be more talented than than you at that time. Well, definitely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and that's happened to me too in basketball. It's like, dude, I'm better than this guy. Why is he trying to coach me? I guess my question for you, if you could give advice to coaches, especially young coaches, having gone through that with a harder transition, um, how do you go, like what's the best thing you can do to try to build that trust and that confidence in those athletes? I, I think if you, if you do things um, where they understand that you're looking out for their best interest and it's not a power struggle, you're just there to help them, you know, in terms when you help them, then you help the team. And so I think, uh, I think you tell them the truth, even if they're your friends, you tell them the truth. If they're not doing a good job, you just tell them the truth. Um, Mike Wilton, he always says, uh, if you can be, um, if you can be kind and truthful at the same time, I think uh, you're gonna go a long way. And so we try to be kind. You know, you, there's there's many ways you can tell somebody that's not doing a good job. You can say it harshly. You can say it nicely. So you get to pick which one you're gonna use. You know? Yeah. So you get a choice on that. I like that. So you can be cognizant of that. <clears throat> I. Appreciate that insight. You know, um, so Tino, one of the things that's interesting is the reason I wanted to ask you this question as a fan myself. So I, I served a church mission in Brazil uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when I was down there in 2008 to 2010, um, what people might not realize is soccer is their main sport in Brazil, but then it's volleyball. Volleyball is their second like largest sport. Now, basketball is getting bigger and bigger for the from the men's side of things, but men and women's volleyball is huge down there. And I think it kind of gets overshadowed by the soccer type of thing. But uh, we would go around, we'd be walking around in the city parks and stuff. And in 2008, like at that time, it wasn't really popular for men to be playing volleyball in the United States yet. I mean, it, people, they were obviously doing it. There's collegiate volleyball all over the place, but it wasn't as like, it's not as mainstream. And so we kind of had this like look at him like, oh, that's like a weak sport. And then, Tino, I watched them playing. I kid you not, these dudes are like six foot three, six foot four. And the the speed in which they were spiking the ball over the net and then the guts that the other guys had to put their hands right in front of it, their fingers would get hit. And like, I'm not kidding you. It's like their, their finger would touch their forearm. And I'm like, dude. Why would you do that? Like, and they and they just keep playing, you know. And they got their hands all taped up. Fingers are all like cranked out, but they just pop them in. And they play, and we watched it for two years. I would go out and just watch them at the parks. And I just gained this huge respect 
for the guts that it takes to play volleyball when you're, you know, not just a, like there's females that play too. And I have a respect for them, but even the men, I'm like, dude, you got, it's a tough sport. It's not just this weak sport that I thought it was. And so um, I gained some respect for it, but I'm curious, you know, you've been through the eras of volleyball. Uh, when did it really start to take off for the males, like the men in the, in the United States, as far as like becoming a little bit more popular and I guess more well-received um, well, in your regard? Cause it wasn't really that way. I don't remember. Well, it's still not in, in terms of uh, the participants in the United States. Uh, in the United States, it's unique. The, in every country in the world, volleyball is more uh, popular. Men's volleyball is more popular than uh, female volleyball. And part of the reason in the United States, I remember, you remember Title IX, I think it's, I think, in fact, that was passed by Patsy Mink, who was a representative from the, from the state of Hawaii that wrote that law, uh, Title IX, that gave uh, females equal access to scholarship. And so there's infinitely more scholarship on the girl side than the guy side. And that's why the guy side, it's, they struggle. Um, they're in college, there's maybe, maybe 50 teams and maybe 30 division one teams. Um, and in girls volleyball, there's 400 maybe or 300 something division one teams and NEIA, um, division two, division three, there's probably like, close to a thousand teams and uh, not all of them get scholarship, but just the fact that that many kids are playing uh, on the girls side. But um, one of the things that's kind of interesting until this past Olympics, the, the women's national team never won an Olympic gold. And the guys I think have maybe three or four gold medals, you know, in that time. And so the coaching, um, the coaching on the men's side, was um, vastly more improved because the smaller pool they had to pull from and they had to compete against the war on, they were pretty successful. But now Coach Kirai has done a great job. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're probably going to be the favorite to win the gold medal in this coming uh, Olympics. And um, yeah, men's volleyball is still in its growing stage. That's, that's why like Ryan, that's the wrong part of the reason why we come up here is because um, you know, I coached men's for 19 plus years, and Ryan is one of the pioneers in men's volleyball in the Boise area. And so, you know, he's doing something to help spread the sport. And, uh, you know, we just kind of wanted to help out. And he's done a good job because uh, last year we came up, he said he had five teams, I think. And then this year, this past year, he has nine teams. So it's growing. And then Kathy the other day got a, uh, got a, uh, a text message from another guy that's starting the club to see if you wanted to call. So apparently it's growing. And it so is growing. Yeah. That's, that's a positive. I, um, I guess you have like on the, on the Pacific coast, I guess, like you got Washington, Oregon, California, a, a companion of mine on my mission actually came from California. He played volleyball in high school and he asked me, he's like, they don't have volleyball in Idaho yeah. for, uh, for high school. I was like, no, dude, that's like not a thing for men. It's all the girls do. Yeah, for sure. And it's actually pretty cool. But the men, that's not even a thing we think yeah. about. And um, he was telling me, dude, we would in California, he's like, man, they would pack the gym for the guys volleyball there. And so I guess my question for you is I'm like, and that was 2009 when I was companions with this guy. So we're looking 14 years ago. And I still feel like we're, st we're starting to make progress. But I guess, Tino, what, what do you think we need to do in Idaho and any other state that doesn't really have it? How can we even get to the point where we can implement men's volleyball into high schools? Well, we we have to support guys like Ryan Canelli because, you know, he's taking it upon himself to help spread the sport and anything that we can do to help um, help the men because of, I think, because of the lack of scholarship in college. You know, if there's a basketball player and a volleyball player, um, the chances are uh, that that player – if he plays two sports, those both sports, you're probably going to end up in basketball because he can get a scholarship, you know, in volleyball. Volleyball in men's volleyball, I think at the Division One and Division Two level, I think it's 4.5 if it hasn't changed. When I was coaching at UH, that's what we had. So everybody had a partial scholarship. 
And so there was some guys that I wanted to recruit and they were like 16 and they said, well, he's a basketball player. And they would go to a low, uh, lower division, division two to go play basketball. And these kids um, at that time could probably maybe given the right circumstances could have been on the national team, maybe, you know, but money talks and uh, <laughs> partials don't walk. Sure. No, but that's, that's, that's yeah. an interesting, this is why I'm glad that you're talking about this. This is to educate people that might just see things surface level. Now let's dive a little, yeah, we dive a little deeper in scholarships and lack thereof for the men's side of things might play a role in that. I, I, I hope everyone's listening, go back and take notes of this. Um, if you guys are listening to this right now with Tina, like take note of that. That's a very important piece of it. You know, there, yeah. there might be a reason somebody chooses a, a lower division <clears throat> school for a different sport because they might, get their education paid for a little bit more or something of that nature. Especially um, not so much education costs. Yes. You know, that's not a small thing, you know? Absolutely. So. And and here's the other thing though, um, and to that point, Tino, nowadays in college, now that they have the name, image, and likeness, um, everything's kind of like the wild, wild west with that. But like, in, you can go to a junior college if you really want to, and you can start making money off of being a junior college athlete if you really want to. So just go there, pay a cheap education and just, make tons of money. So there's a lot of options for kids now to actually make money. Um, and so they'll just go to a lower division school because they're going to be able to, you know, monetize off the name, image and likeness. And that's kind of what we're also running into with a lot of the junior colleges they are able to, these kids are able to, they're just, they're funneling there. So they're, the junior colleges are harder to get into because the talent's higher because it's just like all these kids are going to the lower end schools. Um, I want to ask you this too. So you've been, you've been doing multiple schools. You talked about coaching Kathy at, at Oregon state. You've talked about Hawaii um, and the multiple different areas that you've coached and men's and women's and so forth. Universities all have different, well, universities and different colleges, they have different resources. Um, how much do the resources play a role in your, your recruiting for volleyball athletics? Um, definitely. Uh, one of the things that we talked about when I was at Cal Poly uh, Mike used to always talk about <clears throat> if you when you leave here, um, one of the one of the criteria you look for is a successful football team, because if there is a successful football team, you know, they have all kinds of resources. So that was one of the criteria. Now, what's happening now because of the conference realignment, um, you go you go to a school that's in the Power Five. You know, so yeah. there's a difference there. Um, I just went because I I was spent ten years up on the on the continent here, and it was time for me to go home. So I went home because because there was a job there, uh, and at that time my girlfriend was living in Hawaii, and so I I took a Division two job that was a part time job just to get back home to Hawaii to coach. And then uh, a few years later, ended up at the University of Hawaii when Mike got the head coaching job for the men's. And that was a part-time job, too, until we um, we had some success and we turned that job into a full-time job. And now um, this past year, the uh, current coach lost in the finals, but the previous two seasons, they were, uh, were two-time uh, national champs before this past year. And so he had grown over there. Uh, remember when we were there, there was uh, several years where we sold out the 10,000 uh, seat arena. Um, you know, so we had some good runs there and now the team is still doing a great job. And so it's kind of fun to see. Um, but in, in Hawaii, uh, volleyball uh, is, uh, high school volleyball is a major sport in Hawaii. Um, you know, you obviously you have football, you have basketball and baseball, but volleyball is right up there. Um, in Hawaii, we, uh, when I say we, the state produces more uh, world-class um, volleyball players than we do basketball players for whatever reason. Wow. Yeah. We have, um, we have, one, two, three. We had three guys from Hawaii on our national team, and the national team consists of twelve players. And so we're pretty proud of those guys. And um, we haven't had a, a a girl volleyball player on the national team for a while now. And so kind of hoping we're going to have one or two in the next uh, 
I don't know, quadrinium, you know, yeah. just that, but. but you just said a quarter of the, the, the national team is from Hawaii. That's yeah, pretty, that's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's so yeah. different. The culture there from an yeah. athletic standpoint than it is from like Idaho where I'm from, you know, like it's so cool to hear that. Well, you, you probably started playing basketball when you were like at least five years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, the guys over there are starting to play volleyball at that age. And it's because the family is playing and then the older sister might be playing volleyball. And so he, he or she is touching the ball at a young age and they kind of grew up in the gym. And so, um, yeah, it's just different cultures. Yeah. And then, you know, talking about, uh, um, we took our youth national team to a tournament in Brazil, uh, in Cabo Frio. And we got to hang out for a while. We were there for maybe 10 days. And it was kind of interesting what you were talking about. Because if you go if you go around Brazil, one of the things that we talk about in a coaching clinic um, in Brazil, soccer is number one, like you said. And, uh, and if you go around to all the parks and the beaches, you'll see soccer goals all over the place. And then you'll see the basketball court. And then you see the volleyball court. And one of the things that happens in Brazil, they're so good in soccer, and it's because they play from a young age, and they don't play hardly ever play 11-on-11 11 11 when they grow growing up. They play 3-on-3, three 5-on-5, three, five five, and 6-on-6. Six six. And the reason why they do that is because the players get a lot of touches, you know, in a small space. So that's what we're kind of trying to do with Ryan over here. We're just trying to tell him, don't worry about the six on six. It'll come together if we go two on two, three on three. You know, the smaller the group, the more times they're going to touch the ball. And that's the most important thing in terms of uh, development of players, how many touches they're going to get. Wow. That's an interesting concept, you know, because uh, even in basketball, like my confidence grew in basketball the most when I was playing three on three basketball. And I think it's because of that, like you have to play defense the whole time. You have to touch the ball. Like pretty much every, you're, you're involved in almost every play in some form or fashion, right? Whether right. you're shooting it or setting a screen or whatever. Exactly. Well, soccer, it's the same thing. I, I, we always talked about that because they play futsal, <laughs> which is a smaller form of soccer over there in Brazil, which is on a basketball right. court kind of thing. And that's why the Brazilians are all shifty and quick. And then you get them on a full field and you're like, oh my gosh, can't even be like, they just move right past you. They mm -hmm. have all the space to go. Volleyball, same concept. That's, that's awesome. Um, when you go, when you go and uh, if you go and watch soccer, uh, youth soccer over here and you see them playing 11 and 11, there's going to be a handful of kids, maybe three or four kids that never, ever touch the ball. Yeah. You know, because the fast person and the you know aggressive person will always go to the ball, and then there's three or four just kind of running back and forth, running back and forth. But if they were in a three-on-three -three contest, the chances are slim that the ball's not coming to them. You know, and so that's that's the concept we're trying to get uh, for faster development. Totally, that's so awesome, man. Uh, I got to get a couple of questions in here for the athletes too, from a coaching <clears throat> perspective, being it the national level, the collegiate level, men and women and so forth. I want to pick your brain on if you're wanting to play volleyball and you want to be elite at that, you want to be able to compete at a high level at that sport. And let's just say you're 14 years old right now. Tino, knowing what you know, what would you advise those athletes to be working on right now in the summer or in their off season, whatever their off season may be, what's a skill set they need to develop and work on to, to be able to start that rise to the elite level? I think, number one, they got, you know, if you have a chance to go work out in the gym in terms of lifting weights and, uh, you know, running and stuff like that and getting strong, uh, and you have a group of guys that are going to go play doubles on the grass or the beach, uh, best to develop the game um, because, again, it's the amount of touches that you get. And if you if you immerse yourself in the sport, um, that's why clubs are important because clubs give those athletes more opportunity to touch the ball. And uh, if I'm an athlete and I had a chance, the choices are go in the gym and lift weights or go to the gym and uh, play volleyball if you want to develop your skill. The skill level has to be developed first. Uh, doesn't matter how strong you are, 
how fast you are, what kind of endurance you have. If you don't have the skill set, you're not going to be in the game where all those things matter down the road. So you got to have the skill set. And when you have the skill set, then you have a chance to extend the game and then fitness, strength, and all those things that you're working on peripherally will come into play. Just like in basketball, if you can't shoot and you can't defend, doesn't matter how how much condition you have or how strong you are, the guy's going to beat you to the hoop and, you know, the game's not going to be that much fun. So, yeah, to play and, and touch a lot of the volleyball, uh, whatever the skill level is, um, is most important, I think. I appreciate that. That's huge. That's huge for athletes to hear. So that's why I wanted to ask that. I want them to know what, what works best. Um, how much does the mental side of the game play a role in volleyball that you've seen, Tino? I mean, it's a huge part of most athletics, but I'm curious, like how much it plays a role in volleyball. And like, I guess, how can you conquer maybe a confidence issue or just distress tolerance and stuff like that? How just from a volleyball perspective? Um, volleyball is a game of momentum. Um, <laughs> I have an example. Uh, my son was playing, I think he was playing 13 and under and, uh, I was doing some recruiting, but they played late at night. So we went over to watch this match against the Puerto Rican team. And they were up, I think, 22 or 23 to like 13. And the and at that level, almost certain that kid is going to miss a serve, you know. And the kid didn't miss a serve until he was tied at 23, 23. And we were like. You got to be kidding me. And it was funny because, you know, the kid just got a momentum and kept going and kept going. And, you know, my son's team was hitting the ball out or they were shanking passes all over the place. And so I think if you can, if you can, uh, like in all sports, the mental part is a big deal, you know. Um, but if you don't, if you don't have the fundamentals, just like in basketball, if you don't have the fundamentals, you know, it's going to be hard for you to get into where it matters in the head, but to develop the, the fundamentals, you got to have it in your head too. So the mind is a big deal uh, in terms of uh, development, not just in the strategy, not in, you know, also in the game gamemanship, but also developing the skill because we talk about uh, uh, in athletics, we're going to fail more times than we succeed. And we're going to succeed because we were persistent, not because we're talented, but because we were persistent. Now, the talented ones and their pers persistency will get them to the highest level. But if you want to compete, if you're just going to be persistent, because we don't, you know, we don't make all our shots in basketball. We don't make all our spikes, you know, we, you know, baseball and hitting, Seven out of 10 times, you're not that good, you know? So, but if you're going to persevere, you know, then then we have something here. So, but you're going to persevere because a couple of things, your strong will or the environment that you're in has created a place where you want to be at, you know? And so you can develop your, your skill. But yeah, the mental part is real big, not just, team-wise, but individually too. You know, the best volleyball players to me are not the most talented one. Um, just within our family, one of my son is the most talented one, but the one that went the farthest was the one that practiced the most, you know? So I just saw that in my family too. So, and we see that all the time in teams. Man, that's such good insight. <laughs> You know, of all the coach, sorry, of all the teams that you've coached, men and women, what makes the best team in the sport of volleyball? What, like some of your best teams, what made them so, so good? First of all, I think number one, um, I think as individuals, they were all accomplished, not just in volleyball, they were accomplished in school, they're accomplished as people. <clears throat> they brought that uh, accomplishment to the floor. And uh, I think <clears throat> one of the one of the things that they were always willing to work hard. We weren't always a talented one, but they were always always willing to work hard. And they understood that uh, um, the group, if we get everybody 
pulling in the right direction, we're going to be better than teams that are more talented. And so I think um, in terms of what makes good teams, I think uh, they care for each other. They're willing to work hard and uh, they see the value in what they're doing, you know, as a group. And so if we can get those things in the right direction, uh, we're going to be pretty good. We may not win our, all our matches, but I think we're going to be pretty good. I love that. Uh, is there an athlete that stands out to you that you've coached in the the years that you've been coaching that uh, just stands out to you for one reason or another? And what what is that reason? Uh, there was a kid that we recruited out of Israel. Uh, and it was kind of a uh, this this friend of a friend. Uh, Fred Hiapo was his name. He played in this world a master's championship. And I can't, re- I, I think it was in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. And he came home back to Hawaii and he was friends. He's an LDS member, in fact. All the guys that I coach with are all LDS members. To be <laughs> That's <honest>. funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Fred, Fred knew coach uh, Mike Wilton because they were LDS members. And so Fred came back home and called Mike and said, hey, I got a player for you. And and we said, where in Israel? And he asked us, uh, we asked him if he, if he got some film. So he wrote back to the dad and we got some film. And the kid was pretty phenomenal. And uh, he only stayed for two years, but he was the start of that, that boom at the university. They had some really good team before that, but he just, when you have some of the basketball players on the, at the university coming to watch him, you know, he's something special. And so it's hard for me to say that I coached him because he knew a lot of stuff before he got there. And uh, he was arguably to me the best volleyball player that the university ever had. And he only stayed for two years and then went to play pro in, uh, in uh, Greece, and uh, he was pretty phenomenal. The first, I think, the first four years in in uh, his name was Yuval Cox, by the way. And then there was a bunch of other guys. The the uh, the setter for the uh, USA national team right now, who's one of the best in the world. He's my son's uh, teammate at Kamehameha. He's from Hawaii. Uh, he was pretty phenomenal too, you know. So there's a bunch of guys, and we have this other kid from Greece that was really good. And we have, you know, we had guys that walked on and became pretty good players too. Uh, Costas Tiaridis, who uh, led us to a national championship, uh, he's living in Boston right now, and he's not only a phenomenal volleyball player, he's a phenomenal student and a person as well. And uh, I think if you can get those three things: a good person, you know, uh, a good student. You know, chances are if they're into volleyball, you're probably going to get a good volleyball player. You know, so I, I love it. Was there anything that stood out to you about the work ethic of the Israeli kid that uh, came over there and then played professionally? Like, was there uh, when he came over there? Was there something just different about his work ethic, or yeah, we would go, we would go on a road trip, and a lot of times we would go to on a road trip and we'd play maybe four matches. We'd be up on the continent for for. Uh, a week, maybe 10 days, and we'd play two weekends or something like that. And we would go home and we'd get off the bus and we would take everybody to the, the stand sheriff uh, arena at the time. And uh, he would get off and uh, he would drop his uh, his bag, you know, his bag in the locker room. <laughs> and then he would go to the weight room. Oh, wow. <laughs> Work out. We just get, got back on a five and a half hour, six hour flight. You know, and we just played four matches in, in a week or 10 days, whatever it was. And he would go in the gym. I was like, aren't you going to go home and relax or go to the beach and hang out, you know? Like, and go into the gym and work out. I mean, he was pretty phenomenal, you know, things that he did. So, and yeah. you, you didn't have to guess why he was that good, you know? Yeah. No, but, that's cool, man. That's cool. That's, uh, that's a testament of the hard work that goes into those things. And that's what I want these athletes to hear on here. You know, Tino, as we wrap up the interview, just hearing your, your stories are awesome. I, I want to ask you, what's the biggest life lesson thus far that volleyball has taught you? Uh, I don't know if 
I don't know if volleyball has taught me. I think volleyball had uh, put me in contact with people like my Kyle McGowan, who was the uh, head coach at BYU Provo. Um, you know, Tom Clark. I think I think the people and the and the guy Randy is an LDS guy too. And, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so all the guys that I coach with are all LDS guys except the, my high school basketball coach. And this just brought, brought me into uh, a situation where I was influenced by these people a lot. And so you could say that volleyball taught me those lessons and actually just put me in touch with the people that, you know, kind of shaped my life a little bit, you know. And so that was a good thing for me. That's awesome. Yeah, man, it put you in the, it built the the social capital around you that kind of molded you into who you are today. That's so cool, man. And, you. Um, you know, Tino, as you look around at the different places you've played, whether it be different countries, different states, whatever, do you have a favorite place to play that you've, that you've competed in as a coach or a player? Um, and, and what was like, what's, what stands out to you about that place, whether it's an arena or a country or something, I just want to hear yeah. about a volleyball perspective. What's the, what's your favorite place you've ever played? Uh, gotta be the Stan Sheriff Arena. It it was it was magical back then when we, we played there. The players were so coveted that some of them had to um get in the laundry basket to get out of the arena because there were so many fans that were waiting for them to get their autograph. And so it was kind of phenomenal th at that time. And uh, so the Stan Sheriff uh, Arena was like the best place. We played at Provo, Utah, and I think today. It's still the um, the men's uh, volleyball um, attendance record. I think we played in a Marriott Center. Um, they were giving away tickets, and I think they got like 14, almost 15,000 people in there. And we played in that match, and it was it was a fun match to play. And I always talked to my friend, and he was a, a opposing coach, and he's another LDS guy. Basically. Of course. Yeah, he, he goes – we, we had a play in there where our libero dug a ball and went over, not over the net, went outside the net, but on their side of the court. And we had another Israeli kid that went over there. And, you know, they all grew up playing soccer, yeah? So yeah. he runs over there and he kicks it and he comes back, you know, right outside the antenna and right at the net. And uh, the kid from Greece, uh, Kostas Tiaridis, goes up. And just hammers <laughs> and and Gracie goes, Tino, after that play, you said the match was over. You guys won the match. And it was like in the second game or something like that. You said the match was over. And we still laugh about that too today. That's so awesome, that was, man. You know, it's nice to go to a foreign hostile territory with, you know, a lot of people and and perform that way. So the boys, a lot of kudos to them, you know. Oh yeah, man. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and the last question then Tino for you, as we wrap it up, I, you know, you, you talked about it. It's perfect. It kind of transitions into it, you know, in basketball in football and whatever I talk to these, I, I coach basketball. So when I'm, when I talk to my athletes, I'm like, listen, some club tournaments, you're going to go in there and there's like parents watching. There's going to be times where you might go in, there might be 5,000 people watching. Uh, there might be 40 to 50 coaches. It, it all, it all varies on the location, but I was like, you've got to be able to handle the pressure you've got to be able to like come in there and handle it and some kids have their own i guess pre-game rituals if you will mm -hmm. music they listen to or a certain thing they do to get in the right headspace um, i know for me when i was boxing before any match like so i would i didn't want to ever like go into a boxing match without like being able to fight to my best ability like even if i lost i want to be able to fight freely and not be so tense and stuff so I would listen to Michael Jackson, which is the weirdest thing everybody who's heard me talk about. I'm like, dude, I know I would I would listen to all this rock music and rap music until yeah. uh, I get pumped up. But like when it was time for my match, about 30 minutes prior, I turned to Michael Jackson. That was my music to just like calm my nerves and still stay in the flow state. And uh, so I'm just curious, do you have something that you yourself or you, that, that your players do that that helps you when you go into these big environments, like 14,000 people, you know, the pressure's on, the lights on, it's hostile, hostile territory. Is there something that you have done that you found that works for you to just be able to be of a free sound mind and go in there and perform to the best of your ability? Um, Mike always used to tell us that, you know, the, um, uh, the cakes in the oven, you know, we did all we can throughout the week to prepare for this match. And uh, 
now we just got to let the players, um, you know, perform. And if we can do that, then I don't have anything specific for me to relax. Uh, but I'm sure players do. Um, you know, they talk about that in golf. You know, they have a, a, a routine yeah, that they go to when they're before they putt um, or before they tee off. And so I think some of the players like to listen to music and some of them do other things. And, you know, we just kind of let those guys do it individually. Uh, for us, if we can just prepare them during the week and um, have the scouting report and have the, uh, the game plan, um, I think, you know, that's all we can do. Um, of course, you want to build up their confidence throughout the week as well, too. And so certain drills are, are designed to do that. And, you know, we hope that we did the best that we can. The cakes in the oven, dude. I just that's beautiful. Like I just I, I'm taking notes on that myself. I'm like, oh, man, as a coach, that's beautiful. So long as you prepare properly, that's really what it is. You're like, all yeah. right, and just McGowan, go and said that you feel pressure because you're not prepared, you know. And so, you know, and, and these guys are are great coaches. So they kind of just listen, and that's what I talked about. You know, like volleyball put me in touch with these people. And these guys are all healthy people for whatever reason. <laughs> and so, and it's funny because the, uh, my last uh, athletic director at UAT Lo was an LDS guy too. It was funny. <laughs> uh, hey, they're coming after you, Tino. That's what they're doing. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. Then you happen to jump on a call with me. I, I too am a member of that same church. It's so great. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I did a camp out in uh, Nampa for Carolyn. Um, what is, oh, what, I can't remember Carolyn's last name, but she Idaho Crush is her club. You probably heard oh, of yeah, it. Oh, yeah, Idaho Crush. Uh huh. Yeah, and the high school won like four or five uh, state championship in the last 10 years or something like that. And they're all LDS, they're BYU people too. Oh and yeah, I think is that the awesome. Bauer, the Bauer family? Oh, exactly, Bauer. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just called Very Danny yesterday, but I haven't heard from him yet. I'd like to see them. I like to actually go and see their club because they got a new facility and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, they're they're breeding volleyball players over there with the Bauer family. I'm very oh, yeah. familiar with the Bowers. I've grown yeah, up with exactly. the Bowers. So you you know that then. <laughs> Absolutely. Tino, you're the man. I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. Like you're you're over here and I just have enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully we can continue the the relationship, the friendship after this too. I but I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining the show and being willing to share your stories with us, man. Okay, so sounds good. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. For everyone listening, make sure you tune in and, and leave us a review and you know, we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.